0: My name is Craig Pickett. I'm an executive recruiter. More than a decade ago, I started my practice for one purpose, to use my experience as a former military aviator, business jet sales executive, and P&L leader to help aviation and aerospace companies and their executives be fast, adaptable, and strategic. I do these podcasts to inspire and inform, but more importantly, they are a focused platform to help business leaders grow. Welcome to the Aerospace Executive Podcast. Hey, welcome back uh, to the Aerospace Executive Podcast. I am—I'm uh, really happy to have uh, Roger Rayleigh and Joe DeCruz with me. Um, they're with uh, Alpine Advanced Materials down in uh, Dallas. Um, Alpine is a early-stage venture capital-backed company that's making highly engineered composite uh, components for aerospace. And, hey, guys, welcome. Tell us about—tell me about what you're doing. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, no. Thanks for
1: having us, Craig. Um, I'll start. So, uh, with Alpine Advanced Materials, we're a subsidiary of Catalyze Dallas Holdings, and Joe can tell you a little bit more about the Catalyzed model and and how they uh, how they brought the technology to uh, to commercialization. Um, but what Alpine does is is we manufacture, design, and manufacture purpose built parts for high reliability, harsh environment applications. So think about aircraft, space, defense industry. Uh, those are all
0: core vertical markets for us. How's, uh, I got to think in today's day and age, you know, obviously the commercial side, we're talking about, what's the, what's, what's the go-to-market strategy? What are you thinking about? I mean, obviously uh, you know composite material right now is getting a lot of focus, yep. strength, weight, a lot of benefits there. Um, the Corrosion issues, you know, a lot of stuff. What's, uh, you know, where you see in the future, what is it the OEM market, the military market, airlines, commercial airlines, everybody? What uh, really
1: all of the above? So, we saw problems, and two big two of the big problems that you talked about uh, weight, you know, everything's trying to get lighter, faster, you can carry more payload, uh, carry more passengers, um, corrosion resistance is a big problem that we've solved, and then also strength. So, when you look at HX5, it's 93% the strength of. 6061 aluminum at about half the weight uh, and there's a lot of versatility with the material it can be coated it can be um emi shielded it has some naturally emi shielding capabilities already in it. um it, it's just a perfect material to replace 6061
2: aluminum yeah and the, and the market's changed a little bit this year you know with uh covid and and the 90 percent of the fleet being grounded um and as they started bringing up the recovery, uh, especially out of Europe, focused on carbon and carbon reduction, uh, we kind of did. We layered on top of what we were doing uh, with Alpine traditionally, and uh, built some relationships, uh, looking for the carriers that were had the balance sheet that was good and uh, senior executives that would lean forward on looking at innovative things uh, to try and leapfrog the market when it came now. So. As part of that, we did a uh, a white paper that reflected both of the catalyzed companies, both Alpine and Metro, and how we uh, enhance and accelerate the reduction of carbon as the planes uh, re-enter the uh, uh, service. And so we've done a pretty extensive uh, report on that. It went to uh, uh, Environmental Defense Fund, who uh, has taken that to uh, the EPA as they're looking to do their new regulations, right, for uh, carbon reduction and trying to set some new limits. And uh, that's also been translated over to ICAO in, in Europe. So we're seeing some good positive uh, benefits in that. You know, it's good uh, in that both the catalyzed companies have uh, a direct impact on that as we look at, you know, Roger's not there yet, but we've got two grandkids, Christian and I, and you know, we want to make sure that they have a a, a decent place to be uh, when they grow up, and uh, they can still enjoy Texas as a uh, as Texas, and not a, as a uh, waterfront property.
0: There you go. So, so tell me how HX five. You know, HX5, you know it, it, how did it come to be? I mean, who, you know, how did you develop it? What's it's? How is it different from some of the other carbon?
2: So I'll, I'll take the yeah. how did it come to be, and I'll let uh, Roger dive in on how it's different. So my wife and I uh, sold our uh, previous startups. Uh, we sold those back in 2013, and decided we wanted to do something together. Um, but we didn't want to do a back of the napkin startup. So I spent 10 years at DuPont and you know, in my roles at Nokia and EDS, and her roles at TI and and Siemens, we had spun businesses out of the out of the business that were orphaned or technology that really didn't fit our core. Mm -hmm. So we took that same model and founded Catalyzed Dallas in 2014. And if you think about the defense industry back in 2014, they were trying to do some spin outs and and failing pretty miserably. Mm -hmm. And we happened to be in the right place at the right time. Um, We were able to uh, get an audience with Lockheed and become a partner with them and have been a partner with them since uh, 2014. Uh, Helping them to analyze and and understand their IP and what would be uh, have commercial viability, which is what our expertise is. So, uh, HX5 is a material we saw. I first saw that in Palmdale in 2014 and uh, thought it had real merit. Um, And so, we built a relationship with Lockheed. They asked us to um, help them out of a bind with micro main technology that is the foundational product for metro aerospace mm-hmm. and they asked us to do that first and then move into apex so we uh, we were patient uh, probably more patient than anyone else that had seen that material and we we're able to uh, close that transaction um five years later in uh, january of 2019 and, um, and it was great because we had a great relationship with the cto at lockheed and the president of Skunk Works, Rob Weiss, and uh, Kevin Jackson, um, CTO, who really wanted to leverage their $50 million investment into this material and actually get benefit out of it. And they felt that we could penetrate Lockheed's different programs faster and finalize the material for commercial uh, use uh, cheaper and faster. And I think we've proven that uh, over the past 12 months.
0: So is it so you know you, you talk about pre-preg carbon fiber that a lot of people laying down sheet on sheet. And is is yours much more of a I know you do you know you provide a lot of recipes and then it goes to some contract yeah, right. manufacturers.
2: Yeah, let, me, let me qualify that we do not give our recipe. Okay. So it's a great secret. Um we have a pretty uh, tight control over the Manufacturing the material, what we do is we hold all the material inventory here or at a other warehouse uh, at our uh, partner, and then we ship it directly to the plants that are manufactured for us.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then
2: we control that we're on site for the quality because this material is different than any other in how it performs and how it may, how it's manufactured uh, or used to manufacture. And then we bring all the excess and the purged material back here to either regrind or dispose. So HX five, it, it, but it's an
0: extruded. You can you can create parts in a couple of different ways. You, right, you know, right. They can be extruded like a be a plastic extrusion, or they, I guess they can come out in like a block, and then you can machine it using five axis or something. Or how how does it how do parts all come together? Yeah, so there's a couple of different
1: ways, and this is where, where HX5 is different. Um, it's injection molded, so design a tool for whatever that part is, and then you inject. It comes in a pelletized form naturally, so then you run it through the hopper and in through an uh, injection molding machine, and you injection mold, whatever those parts are. It's the, the cool thing about that, especially when you compare it to aluminum, is you can make hundreds of parts a day versus you know hundreds of parts in you know, months or, or, or even, you know, years. So the volume manufacturing is a, a big uh, selling point. Uh, but it can also be extruded. So you can uh, run those pellets through an extrusion die and create long parts that you can either machine down or cut, cut down into other shapes. Um, the cool thing about HX5, and, and you hit on it, it machines exactly like metal. So any existing CNC machine without, you know, additional uh Capital equipment involved. You can take um, a piece of HX five and machine it down into whatever that net shape is that you want, and that helps us get you know really tight tolerances uh, in places where uh, you normally couldn't do that with um, other materials.
0: Where do you see the um, obviously you know in the the commercial biz side of the house BGA, you've got FAA issues, um, military side a little bit less. You've just got engineering design, you know, mil um, what parts do you see, you know, where do you see it going in the airplanes? You've got the micro veins on
2: that's
0: yeah. airplanes. Where do you see it going into the airplane? How's the FAA, you know, how's Yeah, how's the FAA treating it, you know, in, in the military and, and, uh, how's it being perceived in the market? Yeah. So cabins and
1: interiors are, are really a, a prime spot for us. So if you think about everything I brought on in here to show you from, you know, a seat arm, uh, on an airplane, to tray tables, to latches, to slides. Um, some of the partners that, that we're working with today are subcontractors to the industry. And so like your alma mater, Gulfstream, for example, um, you know, you can the, any amount of weight you can take out of that plane, it allows you to either add another passenger or extend the range or you know, add more payload if you want to. Um, and so we're working with their subcontractors to design products and manufacture products that can go into those aircraft that can lightweight um, the cabins. So that's a perfect application. Uh, defense, uh, we were installed in the uh, UH-60 Whiskey uh, in a, um, uh, an enclosure for our avionics. It's it's, it, 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 we took an existing design um, that was made out of metal and we took half the weight out of it, but it, it, at the same time, we were also able to take some fans out of it uh, where it had active cooling and made passive cooling, uh, and, and and basically really lightweighted that enclosure for that uh, for that uh, piece of equipment.
2: Yeah, that's one of the things we liked about HX five because you know being able to as we looked at extracting this, it had mill certs because it was originally designed to be up thirty five, so it was originally designed for a wingtick application that was pretty critical, and they didn't they couldn't find any material that was satisfied, but. What one of the interesting components as we looked at evaluating this technology for our model was that it had no certs on UAVs, um, helicopters, jet fighter, uh, missile platforms, uh, satellites, and underwater um, uh, platforms. Mm-hmm. So it had no certs across the board. Um, one of the few. Uh, thermoplastics that passed the Navy burn test for subs, submarines. And so that, that was all promising uh, information that we felt uh, we could translate to FAA certification because we had done that with Metro. We took Metro Aerospace's uh, uh, MIL-CERT data and quickly got an STC to the FAA in about 60.
0: Interesting. And they liked it. it yeah. You know, so you think about, you know, go back to the Gulfstream thing. You know, you talk about cabinets, so they're all honeycomb. Right? Can you? You know, but they're very labor intensive. Can you start to? I mean, can you go so far as to say, hey, look, we can, you know, replace honeycomb cabinets, put very nice veneer on them, and 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 machine it very easily for install, and take a lot of labor out of it. Things like, I mean, can you go so far as to create just about any product yes. out there that you need for? You know, obviously, uh, anything you know, flight structures related might be a. You know, on the wing or the airfoil might be start to be an issue, but on an interior, I, I got to think there's a gajillion different ways. That
1: you can- there's a ton of different ways. Um, and it, it really comes down to, you know, size at, at some point because when you injection mold, there's, there are some limits and they're pretty far out there uh, in terms of, you know, what you can injection mold, but that's really going to be the limitation. Um, and the other cool thing about it and, and not to keep showing samples, but, you know, the material can be coated extremely well. So this is a brushed nickel, for example, over HX-5. You wouldn't know that this is a, a, a thermoplastic. And so again, for uh, the aircraft where you have aesthetics and things inside of it uh, that, that need to be plated, you can plate it in gold, you can plate it in you know, really any metal that, that you want to, uh, you can create a really cool looking part um, to replace, like, like you said, just about anything in, in the aircraft.
0: That's a how's the reception? I mean, uh, how's you, you've got it up at Sikorsky, obviously Lockheed Martin. You've got uh, your board of advisors is, uh, is is not short of any uh, horsepower there. You've got some very talented people in the industry there. Yeah, um, how's yeah, the reception yeah. but at the, uh, the the various OEMs and uh, and the suppliers?
2: So I uh, let uh, Roger kind of dive into our uh, how we've been accepted. But one of the things that's really helped our reach is not only our board of advisors, but our investors are pretty prominent people and some of them are very prominent in the uh, commercial aerospace sector. So they've helped to um, uh, open doors and also add credibility to the fact that, you know, most people look at us, our first conversations when I started talking to customers, you know, the big Saffron's of the world, the Boeing's of the world, et cetera, and Airbus about what we're doing and what the material is. The first comment was, well, Come back to me in a couple of years when you, you know, you've gotten first customers and, and you're not no longer a startup. And my first comment back was, well, here's what I'm doing on these platforms. Here's the, here's the part. Uh, What part of startup does this not fit? And so that's really helped us go fast and seed the groundwork for what Roger and his team has been doing.
0: What's your cost to prototype a part? I mean, if you want to, you know, if you want to go to Gulfstream or Textron or, you know, yeah. of or something and say, Hey, look, you know, we're, you know, we're going to bring this up to you. We're going to prototype it. We're going to show you the advantages. I mean, is it cost prohibitive? Is it relatively inexpensive? Can you, you know, can you do that 10 different times and, and is that a, you know, that's gotta be a, a pretty good selling point for you. I think. Yeah. It, it really depends. Um, you know, if they're looking
1: for, you know, true prototypes of an exact part um, that could be a little costier, but if they're just for mechanical samples, just to compare weight and and not necessarily the full strength characteristics, we can do that pretty quickly. So it really depends on the size of the part uh, and how complex it is. But you know, getting prototypes in in customer hands is is critical because they want to see something that looks and, and feels uh, cool. But we've got tons of samples that we can send out uh, you know right away, and and that helps us really open the doors. But the, going back to the adoption question, we've been well-received uh, because of what the material can do. Now, converting people from traditional aluminum manufactured parts to something that's more cutting edge is, has been, uh, has been a, an interesting conversation. But the companies that are innovative, uh, disruptive, you know, look at some of the emerging technologies in um, drones or in urban air mobility, those are perfect applications for us, and they and they want to move quickly. So, you know, getting into these those innovation centers within these, even within a large prime like a General Dynamics, getting into their innovation center has helped us, helped, has helped us move very quickly. You
0: know, your small company now, how fast can you scale it? I mean, it, or or can you or can you do what you're doing from a small platform with lots of manufacturing partners?
2: So, Trisha and I mentality is you know coming out of TI and DuPont and. Um, and some of the other things, our experiences, we're very much focused on capital light startups. So no sense wasting our capital on building equipment or factories because there's plenty of uh, you know 3D printing companies out there and injection molding and extrusion companies. And what we do is we partner with them to uh, basically be a premium sales channel for them. Mm-hmm. But uh, how we scale... Trisha and I are, uh, have scaled uh, startups and big businesses pretty quickly, and what we do is we really focus on fundamentals and focus on keeping the team lean, uh, making sure you've got the right culture, culture of a startup. I'm an old ball player, so I always use the uh, uh, baseball um, vernacular, and you know you got to have a team, everyone's on the bus, you may be in different seats at any one point, but uh, we're all going in one direction, right? And so that I think has really helped us translate to uh, scaling our businesses very quickly. Yeah, just to add a
1: couple things to that. So you know, when you look at the source of supply for our raw material, it's 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 not a uh, unobtainium per se. It's something that we can readily get. Our manufacturer uh, for the raw material can produce as, as much as we need. In effect, and then. When we're producing parts, talking about that variable manufacturing model that we have, we have some, we have uh, manufacturers all over the country that have various levels of scale, various levels of of ratings, right? Some of them, some of our customers have to have an ITR rated right. uh, supplier. So we've got a, a really nice variable uh, supply chain on the execution part. The other point I would make about our material uh, from soup to nuts uh, to a produced part. It's all domestically sourced, which is a, a big selling point, particularly for the defense industry.
0: How do you how does your revenue model work? You've got subcontractors, do you you don't license the tech, you keep the recipe, you just pay them by the part? Is that kind of how yeah, hey, look, Yes, you know, Sikorsky needs, you know, a thousand of these things for the H sixty whiskey over the next 10 years, produce it. We'll pay you. We keep, yeah, just a yeah, an equal manufacturing partner. Yeah yeah exactly from a
1: manufacturing standpoint you know when we're using our subcontractors it's it's two things it's time and labor right we supply the material uh manufacture parts and and then we manage the supply chain to the end customer
0: how's covid you know obviously the last 12 months if uh, you guys are early stage startup is that giving you is it giving you some gray hairs or we uh has it been
2: relatively denied from the gala's perspective it's been a uh Uh, A great year um, with challenges. So uh, you know our metro aerospace business is obviously impacted the most because it's it's a majority of it is foreign military sales. Yeah, and you've got to go shake the flesh and and meet with the generals in their uh, facilities over overseas. And obviously with the lockdown, we couldn't do a lot of travel. Plus the big platforms we target there, the C seventeen and the C one hundred and thirty. Uh, those fleets have been at 100% utilization over the past year uh, dealing with covid relief and medical transport and food transport and all this other stuff uh, so that really impacted that business but it still maintained um, a, a good trend uh, trajectory right so we we saw a downturn but uh, in in uh, sales but our demand curve is still high so as things open up you know we're getting orders again So we're we're confident and bullish on that business. Alpine, I'll let uh, Roger dive into that, but from a corporate holdings perspective, it's been great for Catalyze because uh, as people have seen our model work on Alpine and Metro, we're getting more, uh, we've been approached by more defense contractors to ask us if we could help them do the same thing we're doing for Lockheed and even expand it even more. So what we're seeing is a much more open uh, approach from the, some of the senior executives at these defense contractors to not just look at orphan business units, but also look at uh, underperforming business units and more importantly, some of their strategic technology that they have to develop. Mm-hmm. Um, we've kind of sold them on our approach of, you know, spin it out. It's the telecom model from the 90s. Spin it out. We'll take it. We we'll use our capital to accelerate it. We're going to do it in A third the time and probably a third the capital that you're gonna it would take you to do it, and then you'll either be able to repurchase the company from us uh, at a predefined uh, level, or we'll give you you'll you'll be the sole uh, distribution channel back in the military.
0: But you mentioned your asset light, you know, a little bit ago, and we're
2: we're capital light.
0: Capital light, okay.
2: Capital light.
0: What about like you know? So you're getting a lot of demand. What about engineering?
2: We have, yeah, we have great engineering. So we've got probably uh, one of the best engineering teams in the marketplace right now. Um, And then just because we're in Dallas and the reason we stayed in Dallas is Mm -hmm. we have a broad uh, access to folks that have worked for both my wife and I over the past 30 years. So we have elastic engineering firms already set up to offload certain things as uh, we have the spikes. In demand, mm-hmm. uh, and then once we hit to a, uh, get to a certain point where the spikes are constant, we'll bring people in.
0: I was going to say, I was going to ask you: Do you have to keep uh, a team of engineers on staff, or can you outsource yeah. it to like the Bell Cans of the world and some of the other, you know, the other engineering companies that that partner up with on a project basis?
2: Our key people are all employees. Yeah
0: how many how many employees? Uh, we're,
2: we're under 50
1: still, uh, but we expanded this year actually. So going back to to the COVID question, we actually kind of had three black swan events. We had 737 Max, which slowed the industry down. Then we had COVID, which uh, slowed everything down. And then you had an election cycle, which created some angst around you know what was going to happen, right? So so you know three challenges. I was listening. To, I was listening to something on, with Lou Holtz the other day. And he says, "Look, I go into a season knowing that I'm going to have three catastrophes happen, and right. once one happens, the good news is there's only two
0: left. So. Yeah, when, when the third one's done, you know it's blue <laughs> skies ahead, right? I think we could all look forward exactly. to 2020. So it's all uh, and so
1: it actually, in some ways, helped us because it allowed us to really prove out our operations, our processes. Uh, we've added people to the business uh, in terms of marketing, engineering." And business development. So, you know, being an early stage company, being you know, flexible and and really resilient uh, has,
2: has been the the good story coming out of COVID for, for us. What's yeah, the I'll, I'll expand on that a little bit. We just got done uh, our investor meeting, and one of the things that's unique about Catalyze is so we've got about 30 large single family and multifamily offices that bought a very small percentage of Catalyze,
0: uh-huh.
2: mainly for a very qualified pipeline. Our pipeline tends to be extremely uh, uh, qualified as opposed to a lot of the uh, pipelines they're looking at from investments, right in the alternative space. And so what that helps us do is go fast. So uh, for Alpine, we raised 100% of what they needed in less than 30 days. Um, Just right at the beginning of the pandemic, we closed. So, uh, and then we had a lot of oversubscription, but what that does is it allows us to scale quickly and fund future developments that Roger has. But, um, and we were, what's the word I'm looking for? They, uh, they uh, reaffirmed their desire to write checks to us after the investment, because we had doubled the size of Alpine, the trajectory, Well, yeah, you, you've got commercial aerospace shifting to the right, but we backfilled and we were able to pivot, stay under our budget significantly um, and just control our costs while still gaining all this extra traction.
0: Yeah. You guys must be like the mayor of Highland Park down there with something with all the. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's the challenges? I mean, is it patient money? I mean, yeah, 30 investors. I, I got to think, you know, hey, look, if it's 30 family offices, et cetera. Um, patient money, what do they want to it's see? All patient money. Yeah, one of the
2: things we're different than a VC or private equity. So we're, you know, Catalyzed Dallas is, we've been told by some of our big PE investors that we're kind of a new model because we do not have a time horizon. Mm-hmm. You know, our background, Trisha and I are operators, right? So we've run billion dollar P&Ls for public companies and, and uh, taking small companies public. Our belief is you build a business. That's sustainable, that delivers better than industry average EBITDA, mm-hmm. and you build it to run long term. And there'll be a point at some you know time in the future where we've got enough traction and we've made enough noise in the marketplace where somebody big is going to come acquire us. Mm-hmm. But what we sold to our investors is that model. We are not going to be forced to sell early because somebody's time horizon is on the end. Mm-hmm. Because you never make. The appropriate money, so we vet our investors as much as they vet us.
0: It's it, it's a great. What's what do you? What's I mean? I got to think. You know, you, you you know, CTO Lockheed Martin. I got to think those guys are like, hey, what do we need to do to to buy you out? I got to assume some bigger PE groups are circling the, circle in the wagons. Or at least your phones are phones are ringing.
2: Well, there's. there's I, I think they're to see us because. Yeah you know, catalyzes you know, number one, we pulled uh, Roger out of Berkshire Hathaway. So that, um, you know, prickled some feathers on, uh, some, some necks. but, uh, catalyzes one of uh, Ellen Lord's, uh, first trusted capital partners. Mm-hmm. And, um, I'm on the Ben's, uh, competitive council, which is the whole power competition between our near peers. So what's happened is our presence is elevated, Um uh, and so, you know, when we're on calls with Cerberus and, and uh, Carlisle, they're like, uh, tell us more about your model. Um, so it's been fun. It's been interesting. It's not something we actually looked at trying to create a demand signal from private equity. But um, we have one of the, you know, kind of Texas uh, Hall, uh, Hall of Famers in private equity is, you um, an investor here and has really helped um, with a number of things. And, and he's been thoroughly impressed.
0: Interesting. Now, now, you know, Roger, you came over from TTI. Correct. Berkshire, how are you finding the uh, the small, you know, a, a lot of people, you know, they have a, not that TTI was a big company, but a lot of people struggle going from the GEs, the Honeywells, the Pratt and Whitneys. Yeah. How's your transition been to a 50 person company? And what do you find? And yeah, you know, this is, this is something a lot of people need to know about. What, you know, what would you, what advice would you give to somebody thinking about, Hey, we're a small investor owned early stage yeah. company?
1: Do it. <laughs> that's, that's the easiest advice I could give, but yeah, TTI, a uh, $6 billion company globally, well-run part of Berkshire Hathaway. Mm-hmm. Uh, I learned a, a tremendous amount, you know, working for that organization, but you know, the, the key you know reasons why I left were you know I wanted to, to jump into something that uh, that that I had more skin in the game on, that that was innovative, that was growing quickly, and that I could really you know, put my brand onto, uh, my personal you know, brand from a leadership standpoint. And, and this checked all the boxes. The material was kind of the first thing, but then, you know, moving to a company that you can really, you know, sink your teeth into and, and lead and and grow. And it's it's been a tremendous experience. And what, you,
0: what was the biggest challenge? What was the biggest challenge? All of a sudden, now you're you <laughs> <want> to... <laughs> probably Probably me.
1: Navigating Joe. <laughs> uh, um, I, you know, I don't... <laughs> I, and navigating through, you know, the pandemic and, and other things, I guess would have been the biggest challenge. But, you know, from that standpoint, I, I can't say that we've had, you know, a challenge that's that big yet. It's, you know, I, the way that I, you know, personally kind of operate and I, I don't get too high or too low. So, you know, when challenges are, are in front of us, you figure out how to get, you know, through them, over them, around them. And, um, you know, we haven't, we fortunately hadn't had, a, a major challenge
2: that, that, that I'd say is a roadblock. Yeah, and Trisha and I have gone through the telecom bust, the 2008, uh, I mean, I, I went through the 80s recession. Uh, yep. So we, uh, we've seen it, been there, done that. So we didn't, I think what helps our companies is at the parent level, we just don't, we don't uh, overreact. We know what's going on. So what we do is we focus on where's the opportunity? Where is the opportunity to partner with the right companies that have the right balance sheet, that have the right leadership that wants to lead forward? And that is something we really focused on in the meat of the pandemic for all the companies. Um, And I think that helped, you know, uh, level the water.
0: How are you getting the word of mouth out to, I mean, once again, not a lot of people, Yeah, you know, a big sales force, um, you know, you're, you're walking into the, uh, the vice president of procurement at Textron Aviation. You're going, boy, if I got to do, yeah. What, uh, how, How's that been? Uh, how's that conversation been going?
1: It's actually been great. Um, you know, Joe talked about it earlier, getting out in front of people and being able to walk in with material and show them what we can do, you know, face to face is, is is huge for us, whether it's going to a customer site or going to a conference where, you know, you get all these people together. Unfortunately, this year, we didn't have that opportunity. Um, so we really cranked up our marketing engine in terms of social media, in terms of uh, um, branding our material and putting the capabilities out there uh, and personally reaching out to those decision makers. So uh, and it, in some ways, it was a lot easier to connect with them you know, this year, because you know, it's really focused, you know, really tight one-on-one uh, communications. And when you get somebody, you know, on a screen, it's hard for them to look yeah. at their phone or do other things. In a uh, you know, the,
0: well, Zoom, you know the, the Zoom world, everybody, you know, I hear all the doom and gloomers say, you know, business travel is going to be cut by 30% permanent. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, please, no, I, it, It's not
2: in January.
0: I, the the best day of my life will be the day I can give up my Zoom subscription. That's how I get back on an airplane. That's kind of what I tell people. But yeah. Yeah. One thing you guys are really doing right, and, and I love it. I mean, can I mention some of the? Yeah, you know, you've got you know, on your board of advisors. He's on your website, so it's a you, know, you got a guy like Ed Delansky on there. Yeah. Ed's a phenomenal guy. I was on the phone with him and Pat Walsh, uh, who you know was working with that up at Boeing. Admiral Pat Walsh and you know a couple of uh, phenomenal people. You've got the former CTO of uh, Lockheed Martin on there. Um, you're really doing it right from, you know, getting the board of advisors on there. And, and do you think companies do that type of, you know, do they do that enough? Yeah, you, know, you think about where you guys are at your stage and you're really saying, hey, look, what do we need to do to be successful? And it's not what, it's really who do we need to connect with to be successful? How's the board of advisors helping you out?
2: Yeah. So, so Trish and I, you know, multiple startups and multiple board of advisors over our careers. What we didn't want, we hadn't really seen a good board of advisors and how they worked. So when we um, sat down with Dr. Lyle, Bobby Lyle, who's our lead investor and uh, uh, basically the chairman of the board uh, for Catalyze, we sat down and said, we want to have a board of advisors, but we want to have people that are engaged We want to have people that um, are invested in our success and that they benefit from our success. Mm -hmm. So we really focused as we, we don't just take anybody on our board of advisors. Um, We we really look at what area on the board do we have a gap or what area do we have a gap in the markets we're going to uh, penetrate. And then we go and actively look for people that can fill that role from the people that we know, and the people that our investors know, and the people that are what we call our friends of Catalyze. So, we have a pretty extensive friends of Catalyze um, network that are former CEOs and CTOs and uh, undersecretaries, et cetera, and generals. And obviously, you mentioned one, Pat, uh, who's, a, who's been a good friend. Um, so, we get insight into some really good quality people and having, you know, Frank Capuccio, Heidi uh, Chu. Um, Dr. Lyle on the board really opens the door.
0: Yeah, no so, doubt.
2: And they're very active. Um, I mean, some of them we talk to on a weekly basis, uh, even though they only committed to a very short period of time. What mm-hmm. we found is our, our board of advisors, unlike most, I mean, they are actively engaged. They're calling us, hey, I just ran into this person. I really want to connect to you. Here's, what I, here's how I set it up you know, Ed, so, you know, Ed is always out there positioning, right? He's been, he's been a great ad. Um, and we're super happy about that. Yeah. And that's helped us open a lot of doors, uh, on the Alpine side.
0: Yeah. So what's the, the, what's what, you know, when we'll, you know, we're, we're running up about 40 minutes here. What, what, what keeps you scared? What, uh, what, what keeps you scared so that you're continually moving forward? And what, at what point do you say, man, this has been, you know, we're just, we're thrilled with where we're at. What's the, you know, what's the final goal?
1: Yeah. I, I don't know that I've ever, uh, ever looked and said, I'm thrilled with where I'm at. And I personally have a natural kind of instinct to look over my shoulder a little bit. And, um, so what keeps me up at night is, you know, again, just continuing to drive and grow and how do we overcome you know whatever those small obstacles are and, and move the business forward you know every day? That's that's what that's what wakes me up in the morning. Um, but it's like I said, it's been fun, it's exciting, it's innovative. Um, and there's really not anything that you know I'm looking at saying, you know, hey, I'm really fearful if this happens, then you know, how does that affect the business? We we take those as they come.
2: Yeah, for me, I think you know, Trish and I started this company with the goal that you know, people love what they do. They want to be at work. They want to be with their their peers. Um, you know, you, you basically create a, a a secondary family, right? And so we love what we're doing. And, um, and as I've told my wife, uh, I don't see me stopping until I die. Because um, I love this thing so much. It's Thanks. the art of the chase, right? It's the art of the deal. You know, but if, if something was keeping up, it would be... Um, worried that something caused a rift in the culture and the feeling that this is a family. So, we have gone, uh, I think we've we've tried to make sure that everyone feels um, very uh, engaged, uh, included, um, and part of the team. Awesome.
0: Let's do this. Let's, uh, let's, let's call it here. But you guys got to promise to come back next uh, in the spring with an <laughs> update we'd love to. On, uh, and tell us how you're doing with the technology and the, the market and where it's all going post-COVID. How's that sound? It
2: either great. that or we'll come down and play golf down in Wilmington. There you go. <laughs> we got a beach, couple the beach right here. So
0: it's uh, it's all good. But uh, thanks for coming on. Joe DeCruz with Catalyze Dallas and Roger Rayleigh with uh, Alpine Advanced Materials. Thanks for coming on, guys. Appreciate you. Thanks a lot, Greg. Have a good holiday. You too. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the latest edition of the Aerospace Executive Podcast. You can reach out to me directly, Craig, at NorthStarESG.com, or check us out at www.NorthStarESG.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, or on YouTube. Just do a search for Aerospace Executive Podcast. Thanks again. I'm Craig Pippen.